0: Please stand with me as we read together from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Hear now God's holy word. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. seems a bit odd that you would command us to be angry We pray that you would teach us and instruct us, even rebuke us and correct us where necessary. For your word is living and active, and this is indeed your word. Would you conform us to your image? Would you help us to live in a way that's pleasing to you? Would you uh, make us into agents of your redeeming grace? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, we serve a God who reveals to us his anger. Psalm 7 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. The Psalms also speak to God's anger. When his people rebel against him, Psalm 78, speaking of this very thing, says that he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Other Psalms, the psalmist cries out to the Lord that the Lord would pour out his anger and his wrath upon their enemies, that he would save them. Like Psalm 69, which says, pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. And so when Ephesians 4.24, Paul says that we need to put on the new self that is created after the likeness of God in the righteousness and holiness of the truth, I think we ought to expect that part of that character that God desires from his people includes anger, a, a righteous and holy anger. And for some of us, that may be encouraging because we may say, well, you know, I, I do anger pretty well. So that that's helpful. And for others of us, that may have us really concerned because what does that mean? I've been a victim of other people's anger, and it's been incredibly hurtful and painful and destructive. And I think the problem is that when we hear the term anger, we associate that with something that is uh, unrighteous and quite sinful. Um, like our passage that we read from James 1, said that man's anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires, but God's anger actually does. In fact, I think we could accurately say, and we will say, that God's anger is at the heart of the Christian gospel. And so, When we come to this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, I think we see twin realities at play that for us who are in Christ, we must put off unrighteous anger and we must put on righteous anger after the image of our God. So last week we said that uh, throughout this section, Paul follows a consistent pattern of put off put on, and here's why. Uh, in this passage, Paul actually reverses them a bit. He starts by saying, put on righteous anger, put off unrighteous anger, and the reason is so that we would not give the devil a foothold. So he starts the passage by saying, be angry and do not sin. Uh, he, this is a quote from Psalm 4, which we just read. And Paul actually uses a positive indicative command, be angry. Now, we know uh, from other passages, even uh, we'll see this later in the book of Ephesians, that the Christian life is not to be characterized by a constant state of anger. Uh, He's not saying always be angry. And it's not two commands, uh, be angry and do not sin. Although we, we know we ought not to sin, it, we should, should see this as we are commanded to be angry. And when we are ang- angry, uh, we, need, we must do so in a way that is not sinful. And so immediately off the bat, we see something, we learn some things about anger. Um, first of all, we see that anger in and of itself is not sinful. If there is a way to be angry and not sin, then anger is not necessarily sinful. And secondly, we might see that um, there is an appropriateness to anger at particular times. If we we're being commanded by God to be angry, then there are times where a Christian ought to be angry. So what we see is there's um, a permission or even an exhortation to anger, but at the same time, it's bounded, it's restrained. Uh, it's not unrestrained anger. Now, um, it's probably right for us to ask when Paul uses this term, anger, what does he mean when he says angry? Because for us, being angry can be a lot of different things. It can be anything from a mild annoyance, to I'm just kind of ticked off, to a violent enraged response, uh, wrath. And um, scholar William Harris did a study on looking at these terms used in antiquity in Paul's day. What he found was that this word that Paul uses is by our standards uh, much more furious and intense than we might expect. In fact, in Paul's day, uh, what we might, might consider more milder forms of anger. Uh, they would use a different word, or they might not even, they might not even mention it. Uh, so what we should, should see is that this is, this is an intense passion in particular. Now, just because it's furious and intense doesn't mean that it's violent or uncontrolled. This is a, a passion that is a strong passion that God is calling us to. And this is a, a passion that God demonstrates uh, throughout Scripture. So um, we are called to put on this type of anger, to be angry, and yet we're called to put off unrighteous anger. So we can see that immediately by, by implicitly when he says, be angry and do not sin. So sinful anger, um, whatever that may be, sinful anger is that unrighteous anger that we must put off. So we see that on one hand. But on the other hand, he says, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. So there's an exhortation not to let the sun go down on your anger. And that phrase, don't let the sun go down, is a fairly uncommon one throughout scripture. And it's meant to be proverbial. By that, I mean, it's not intended to be a literal statement as though you must resolve every issue that you have before the sun goes down. And common sense could help us w- with that very thing because the time that the sun goes down is based upon where you live in the, on the planet and the time of the year. Uh, consider if we were, we we're preaching this in Alaska and the shortest day of the year is 3 hours 41 minutes and the longest day of the year from sunup to sundown is 19 hours and 21 minutes. Are we to really believe that Paul would be exhorting us or that our God would be saying, well, for those saints, there's a time of the year where you have to resolve very quickly. And other times of the year, you've got got much more of a length of time. No, that doesn't make any sense. That's nonsense. It's a proverbial statement to mean we need to be urgent in resolving our anger. It needs to be pursued diligently and uh, intentionally. And he gives the reason. And he says... And give no opportunity for, to the devil. Other translations talk about a foothold or a place. Unresolved anger doesn't get better with time. is what Paul is telling us. It, it festers and it results in opportunities for even righteous anger to turn into unrighteous anger. Unresolved anger can result in bitterness, a root of bitterness. But Hebrews 12 says, let no root of bitterness uh, grow among you. Unresolved anger can start to boil up and we save on to it until that opportunity where we can exact our revenge and explode with a fit of rage. But we're commanded not to do such things. It's much harder to be self-controlled With unresolved anger because we sense that something's wrong and it's it's not dealt with. And so we're commanded to give no opportunity to the devil to be diligent in resolving our anger quickly. So if we're called to this righteous anger, it's probably right for us to try to put a finger on what exactly that righteous anger looks like. Because we know anger, but we don't necessarily know righteous anger. And uh, the late David Pollison, in his excellent little book on anger called Good and Angry, he defines anger simply as this. It's a judgment that we make where we say, this matters and it's wrong. This matters and it's wrong. I think that's helpful. So when we uh, evaluate and we um, inspect our own anger and what's going on in our hearts, there's really th- three different aspects that we can look at. The first is, does this matter? Like, am I, is this something that's actually worth, that's, re- that's really important? Or am I, am I getting angry about something that's, that doesn't really matter? Uh, the second is, um, is it wrong? Have I have I decided that this is wrong, or is it really wrong, and is it something that I need to deal with? And the third is, and this isn't part of his definition, but the third is, how do I actually deal with that? So something might be might matter and might be wrong, but I might explode, or I might seethe with bitterness, or I might just ignore it. There might be something that matters and needs to be dealt with, but I, I turn a blind eye to it. That's a, that's an anger problem. A righteous uh, so. So for, for Pauluson, it's, this, it doesn't matter, is it wrong, and how do I deal with it? Or, to make it more simple, I would say, righteous anger is getting angry about the right things and being angry in the right ways. So we should look at each of those um, separately. But first, remember that this whole, this whole passage is in the context of this command that we put off the old self and to put on the new self, which is recreated in the image of our creator. And later in Ephesians, Paul is going to say, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, to our scripture, we're told to be renewed in the image of Christ. And so that's supremely important when we look at this for both aspects, when we look at what is the right thing to be angry about, and how do we carry that out? So when we start by talking about what is important for us to be angry about, we have to ask, what does God God get angry about? And most broadly, we could say that God is angry about sin, that he, like uh, we said, He feels indignation all the day. He is too pure to be able to look at sin. He hates sin with a passion. It is against his character, it is rebellion against his very nature. He hates it. But within that broad category of sin, I think scripture reveals three uh, I'll give you three examples of specific types of sins that uh, get particular focus. The first is when is the rebellion of his people against the Lord. So we see countless examples of this in the Old Testament as the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness. In fact, the very wandering itself was a response of God to their rebellion. And he said, they will never enter my rest. His anger caused them to wander Uh, later Um, there was a rebellion of Korah against Moses, who was God's appointed leader, and God caused the ground to open up and swallow Korah alive. And then there was another rebellion where uh, they grumbled against the Lord, and the Lord caused serpents to come and bite them, fiery serpents. Uh, So we saw that in the wilderness. In the time of the judges, there was this period of people would rebel against the Lord. He would, in his anger, cause them to be Uh, to suffer, and then they would cry out to him, and he would deliver them, and it would happen over and over again. And in the time of the kings, the the people of Israel rebelled against him, and he sent them into exile, and he said, I'm casting you out of my presence. So God had entered into covenant with his people, and he said, I will be your God, and you will be my people. But when his people rebel against him, his anger is aroused towards his people. The second is um, when those very people are threatened or attacked. So we might be unfaithful, and we are often unfaithful to our God, but God is always faithful to his covenant promises. He says, I will be your God. And so he sees his people as, scripture says, as like the apple of my eye. He sees them as something that's he cares for them tenderly. And when God's people are threatened or attacked. His anger is aroused. You sense this anger from the Lord Jesus when he appears to Saul on the road to Damascus. He says, why are you persecuting me? Saul. And he blinds Saul. So God's anger is aroused when his people are attacked. And the third is when his truth is corrupted. God has intense passionate anger towards the false prophets of both the Old Testament and the New, that say, thus saith the Lord, when the Lord has not uh, such said. Our God is a God of truth, who who speaks a word of truth. We have a gospel that is built and founded on the truth, and we are called to speak the truth. And when that truth is corrupted, our God is angry. So, God reveals his anger, and when Jesus came, even Jesus himself demonstrated anger. Uh, He was angry at the uh, legalistic rule-keeping of the Pharisees while they neglected mercy. He was angry when he went into the temple, and he saw his father's house being turned into a marketplace, a den of robbers. And when his Dear friend Lazarus died. Death, which is not a part of God's original creation, but is a corruption of God's perfect and holy intent. The Lord Jesus' anger brought him to tears. And it brought him to act to save his friend Lazarus. And so, God reveals his anger, the Lord Jesus reveals his anger, And if God is angry about these things, and we are being conformed to his image, we ought to be angry about these things as well. As Christians, we should be angry at sin. It should, whether it's our sin or the sin of those around us, it ought to make us angry. Uh, John Stott wrote this. There's a great need in the contemporary world for more Christian anger. We human beings compromise with sin in a way which God never does. In the face of blatant evil, we should be indignant, not tolerant, angry, not apathetic. If God hates sin, his people should hate it too. If evil arouses his anger, it should arouse ours too. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake thy law. What other reaction can wickedness be expected to provoke in those who love God? For us who are in Christ Jesus, who are trying to be conformed to the image of our Creator, we must get angry at sin, and that anger ought to drive us to action. A lot of that anger, those items, is for stuff that is like outside of ourselves, not necessarily when things happen to us. But I I would say, at least for me, probably for you, uh, most of the times when we get angry, it's when something happens to us personally. What about those situations? Well, in in those situations, it's harder for us to discern because if, if it's a case where somebody's sinning against us, then it's right for us to be angry about it because God hates sin too. But we're not always... That great at being able to discern whether something is really sinful, and in those cases, scripture is helpful to help us discern. Jesus said, "The first thing we ought to do is to take the log out of our own eye before we go to take the speck out of our brother's eye." We need we need to stop to try to identify what is it really that is making me angry about this particular situation. Is it really that there is sin at play? Or is it really just something, I want something and I just don't get it? And that is driving my anger. And we need to stop and take that log out of our eye and say, yes, there's part of my heart which is causing this anger, but there is something that's wrong. Just because we take the log out of our eye doesn't mean that there isn't still something for us to be angry and to pursue in love, but we have to do it the right way. James 1, which we read, says... We ought to be slow to be angry, but that doesn't mean that don't be angry. That just means that we need to slow down and try to evaluate what's really going on in our hearts. Is this a righteous anger that uh, that we're angry with? Or why aren't I angry about this? (laughs) I should be angry about this. This is is sinful. I ought to do something about this. Uh, We need to evaluate it. But righteous anger is not simply uh, being angry about the wrong or about the right things, but it's also being angry in the right ways. And again, we need to go back and say, well, how does the Lord, our God, demonstrate His anger, His righteous anger? And the gospel, my friends, is a picture of God's anger in motion for what does it say Jesus Christ came to seek and to destroy no not not seek and destroy sinners Jesus Christ came to seek and pour out his enraged wrath no that's not it Jesus Christ came to seek and to save sinners of whom I am the foremost while we were yet sinners Christ died for us Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. God displayed his perfect patience, not counting their sins against them. He didn't forsake us in his wrath, as the psalmist said, Lord, do not forsake me in your anger. But he forsook his Son, so that he could pursue after us. So patience and compassion and love and self-sacrifice and pursuing after in love with boldness is the picture of how God demonstrates his anger. God hates sin, and he did something about it, but his act of doing something about it was restorative, and bringing reconciliation and salvation. It wasn't pouring out his wrath, and it wasn't ignoring it either. Our God cannot overlook sin. Sin must be dealt with us, or dealt with. And so if God deals with sin this way, and we're to be conformed to his image, that's the picture that we ought to have. We ought to have mercy towards those who are Uh, sinful, even those who sin against us. um, We ought to have compassion, knowing that uh, we've received mercy and compassion. We ought to pursue in love, not turn a blind eye, not turn away, not forsake, not ignore, but pursue after. For the sake of unity that we've been called to. Um, And by contrast to God's perfect patience, And knowing that God is perfectly just in pouring out his wrath, we have to see that we're not perfectly patient. And so that's why God gives us this exhortation to be urgent and not let the sun go down in our anger because it's not going to uh, be good the longer that we wait. And we aren't the perfect judge as God is. And so he says, do not exact revenge or wrath, but reserve That for me. And what we have to see is that I think what's going on in this passage is that our God is sending his people, since we are members of the body of Christ and God desires to reconcile himself, reconcile sinners to himself, God is sending us as his body, as agents on a rescue mission. He is empowering us by his spirit, as he said. To, do, to communicate this is wrong and this matters, but be reconciled to God. And he's training us through this passage to be prophets. Prophets who speak on behalf of God to say, brother, or sister, you are in error. You are apart from God. You are sinning against the holy God. That's what God's word says. Be reconciled to him. But we have to remember that we are not God. We are mere agents. And so we have to let God be God in the process. We are not the righteous judge. So we do not exact vengeance or retribution or wrath. God says, leave room for God's wrath. Sinners that are not reconciled to God will endure God's wrath. But not yet. God says, leave room for that we're also not the Savior. We're we're sent to speak into a situation and to seek reconciliation, but we can't bring that about. We're merely our Savior's members of his body, and we're not the Spirit. We can't bring humility. We can't bring uh, repentance, even with our most profound and strong and intense words. We can't we can't bring reconciliation to bear. Only the Spirit can do it. But the Spirit says that He works through the work of His people. And so He calls us to be angry and not sin, to be angry and to pursue in love, to pursue that unity eagerly that we've been called to do. Now, this um, this part where He says... Uh, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil, we ought to urgently pursue reconciliation and and not allow anger to fester. But we, we need to condition that just a bit. Scripture says elsewhere in Proverbs, it says, it is to man's glory to overlook an offense. So there are times where we are offended and our anger is aroused. And it is right for us to overlook an offense. But even there, we need to be careful. Not all offenses can be overlooked for one reason or another. Galatians 6.1 says, if any of you is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual ought to restore one another gently. So we are called to seek after the person caught in a sin and to speak into that We can't overlook it. Uh, One writer, E.K. Simpson, said, true peace is not identical to appeasement. So we tend to want to appease things, peace fake. That's not true peace. That's not true unity that we're called to. We're actually called to courageously pursue after somebody who doesn't want to hear a message that we don't want to have to give for the sake of unity and love um, in doing that. And We have to think of it like somebody, Scripture elsewhere uses this terminology like somebody's walking towards a cliff about ready to plunge to destruction. And we need to see ourselves. And if we saw somebody walking towards a cliff, we wouldn't just say, well, have a nice fall. We would go and rescue them and and hold them back. And we need to have that same intentionality when we see a brother caught in sin. But in other situations, we have to... Ask ourselves: Can I really overlook it? There are times where we say, "I want," "I'm just going to overlook that offense," and we're not really being honest. Um, Overlooking an offense means you won't be growing in bitterness over time. You won't be storing it up as a record of wrongs to be ready to unleash at the next argument, uh, along with all the other things that they've done recently. Overlooking an offense means I'm able to not let it come between us and I'm not going to bring it up. I'm never, never not going to talk about it. It's gone. I've overlooked it. And if we can do that, we should. But if we can't, we need to be honest about that. And we need to remember that the goal of what our God calls us to is restoration and unity. Remember at the beginning of chapter 4, he said um, that we ought to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, that we need to uh, be intentional about this. And so we ought to let that condition the way we would handle these situations where he says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And this is a tall task when you're angry (laughs) to come in humility, but if you have taken the log out of your eye, you're able to say, here's my culpability in this situation. And I understand the struggle that you're going through, but we need to work through this. Uh, With all compassion, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. These need to be the marks of how we would deal with these things because this is the way that our God has dealt with us. And we need to speak the truth as we talked about last week. It's not the truth if our brother or sister is caught in a sin and we turn a blind eye to it. Speaking the truth means we speak into that situation and, and it means that we, we admit our culpability in a conflict or uh, we admit our, our shared struggle with that situation. But if we're to speak the truth in love, as Paul had said in Ephesians 4, love is patient, love is kind, love believes all things. It doesn't hold a record of wrongs. Love needs to be conditioned in a, in a pattern that God defines how love is. But we are called to go and to encourage and to exhort, and to plead, because our God has appointed us to be mouthpieces of the Almighty, to uh, save one another from peril, and to speak into each other's lives. And this is, I mean, this is, trust me, I'm preaching to myself as much as to all, each one of us here. It's, it's, this is a tall order, trying to detangle the emotions of our heart and then at the same time to live it out in a way that our God calls us to. And you might be saying, there's no way I could possibly do this. This is like a fairy tale. And that's not entirely true. It's true if you don't even try, but our God works through even the imperfections of uh, our our intents. God calls us to do it, and we're not going to get it right perfectly, and yet God works His grace and His love, even through our our failed attempts. Um, Some of us here have been living with unresolved anger for a really long time. There's been more sunsets and sunrises than you dare to count, and to you— To you, I would say um, your God is not just giving you permission to deal with that anger. He is exhorting you, commanding you to deal with that anger and to pursue reconciliation. Uh, Perhaps the devil has already gained a foothold in your heart and you've been struggling with bitterness or uh, you're ready to explode. God would have you free of that foothold and to have the peace and the unity which he has called us to and so i would i would encourage you seek reconciliation Um, for some of us who are in who are married uh would that that exhortation to not let the sun go down on our anger uh, we might want to take that maybe a bit more literally than what is intended there's a good reason for us to try to pursue reconciliation before the end of the day. Uh, obviously, it's not an absolute, but anger doesn't get better over time. And especially when we live in close proximity with one another, um, things fester and it causes additional problems. And we, we've all experienced that. Now, there is a good reason not to do it immediately. There, if your heart is such where you are getting so intensely angry that you feel violent or profanity or um, hurtful talk starts coming out of your mouth, then it's appropriate to take a time out and to pull yourself to the side with an intent of coming back to reconcile. You might need a pause, but don't pause forever. You need to be reconciled. It needs to be taken care of. And if you can't do it that day, at least get yourself into a position where you say, we will resolve this tomorrow or the next day or shortly thereafter. Don't leave it unresolved because it will destroy you. Um, for other others of us, we've tried to resolve things. We've pursued somebody in love and um, it's just not resolved. And um, to... To you, I would encourage you, keep praying for your brother or sister or for this individual. You don't know how the Lord will act. And keep pursuing them in love and ask yourself, is this something that needs to be pursued? In Matthew 18, the Lord Jesus said, we need to go to our brother. And if they don't listen, then perhaps we need to bring two or three others along with us. And if they still don't listen, we need to tell it to the church. Is this something that needs to be pursued in love as a means of saving and, uh, and reconciling this person? And if you're not sure, seek counsel from your brothers and sisters. And to that point, if you have been caught in patterns of destructive anger where you, uh, you feel like you just can't get free of this, uh, I implore you to seek counsel you need to have brothers and sisters standing beside you. You're not alone in your struggle with anger. Every every one of us struggles with anger in different ways, but you need brothers and sisters praying for you and holding you accountable and standing with you. Friends, our salvation is, was accomplished as a result of God's anger. God, our The problem was we have made God angry with our sin, and yet God pursued after us to save us because of his anger. He didn't just leave it to the side. He sent his son, and when his son came and was on the cross, brothers and sisters, our God poured out his anger, his wrath beyond measure upon his son, Jesus Christ. And he didn't consume us, but he consumed his son in his anger. And one of our favorite songs, what's the line? And on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. God poured out his anger on his son, but he's now satisfied. You you know the sins in your heart, but Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, your God is no longer angry with you. His wrath has been satisfied in his son, Jesus Christ. You have been reconciled to him. And having been reconciled, he now conforms you to his image so that you would love what he loves and you would hate what he hates and that you would be angry about what he's angry about and that you would be used by him for his redemptive purposes. So let us do just that. Be angry. Be angry. But do not sin for his glory and for our benefit. Let's pray together. Father, your grace to us is immense and we can't even, uh, we don't even fully understand the depth of uh, your anger and your wrath which you held back until you could pour it out on your Son. We thank you that your wrath has been satisfied in Jesus Christ, and that is our hope. pray that we would cling to that hope, but I pray, Spirit, that you would work in us that which is pleasing in your sight, which at times means being angry. And so help us to do that, that you might use us for your glorious purposes. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved, we are saved by our Savior Jesus Christ.